Hello and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today we're going to be discussing primitive belief systems in episode 11. I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a passion project for T and me through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10am PST on Clubhouse. At the top of the room, we have pinned our website, StarTrekSundays.com, and specifically T's blog post entitled The Dark Q, a love letter to Q and our crew. And you can now find Star Trek Sundays on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and from anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. It really helps us reach others who might enjoy the show. So thank you, T, for curating a great selection for us to watch this past week. I came away with so many notes and quotes. Uh, The writers could be really quite pointed with their messages uh, about belief systems. But before we dive into all of that, can you tell us what inspired the topic and the episodes you suggested as the watch list for us? Thank you, Victoria. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, undeniably envisioned the future of humanity as being atheist and having moved beyond primitive belief systems. That's why every time the topic got brought up, there was a lot of moving parts that the crew had to juggle, with the prime directive being a common thorn in their side. It's therefore little surprise that we will find Picard espouse the views of a strong atheist, even knowing like entities like Q exist. Sometimes it would be a straight send-up of religion, other times it would be a struggling race, but it was always the case that primitive belief systems were still very much alive and well in the Star Trek universe. And when they reared their ugly head, everyone had to be on point. It's also worth noting that primitive belief system is always a contextual term. Because I bet Q would say Picard had a pretty primitive one of his own. So I hope we can not devolve into an atheist versus theist room here as we discuss what Picard and his crew did when they encountered primitive belief systems. Because I think there's a lot here to study. Uh, thank you for that. That That's great. Yeah, there is a lot to study. And um, the way you put together these three episodes and built them was really interesting to me because you put them in a specific order and we talked about that order after I had watched them and I had watched them in chronological order but the way you had built them was really interesting as well so I want to take them in the order that you place them so that uh, we could we could use that build that you suggested for us so can you give us a rundown, uh, a summary of Firstborn? And, um, and then I've got a bit of my uh, observations and I'll put a question to you. And once we put that question to you, I'll invite uh, everybody else up who wants to answer that question and our subsequent questions. Yes, definitely. And and thank you for noticing that, because I think it's okay to watch uh, Star Wars in the 45236 order, right? And it tells a different story. So putting these together in this order was was very intentional. Uh, The first one being First Born, which was from Star Trek The Next Generation, was late in the season, episode 7, 
uh, excuse me, season seven, episode 20, 21. Uh, it first aired on the 25th of April, 1994. So in this episode, a mysterious family friend and advisor encourages Worf's son, Alexander, to become a warrior. That advisor turns out to be Worf's son, Alexander, from the future. I chose this episode because Alexander wants to influence himself to follow the way of the Klingon warrior, effectively indoctrinating himself into the Klingon religion. It was a really a middle finger to religion, with so much of the dialogue being committed to mocking uncritical thinking, dogma, and appealing to authority. Yeah, I did. I did really uh, notice that, and um, it, setting aside the time travel, <laughs> maybe one day I'll get used to the time travel. But once again, due to the intentional watch. I viewed this episode more closely than I would have otherwise, I think. And uh, I was really struck by that one conversation in particular, I think you referenced, uh, in which Alexander from the future was speaking privately with little Alexander, who was questioning the reasoning in the stories of old. And the this questioning frustrated Alexander from the future, who exclaimed, no more questions. These are our stories. It's important for you, uh, for a warrior, to interpret them properly. And uh, I was struck at how the Klingon's way of the warrior was framed as a religion in this bit. And I wondered where in my life, a life without conventional religious leanings, I have made something else into a religion, perhaps. Uh, aside from Star Trek Sundays, of course. And, um, and is there something I would have liked to have had in my life? through my life that I don't have now that maybe I would have liked to have had indoctrinated into me. Um, so, you know, as you said, Alexander went back in time <laughs> to try and influence himself. And I think we've seen this before where, where we, we've, um, we've had to address ourselves, which is interesting and, uh, and try to indoctrinate him into the Klingon religion. And then we find out later it's to save his father which was kind of a, a sweet scene. So if you could travel back in time and indoctrinate yourself, what would you influence yourself to believe uncritically today? Well, I think that Alexander had a lot of good intentions. His intentions were to save his father and it, it, the whole scheme that he had concocted to do so was to uh, get him involved in their religion, and their religion is being a warrior. Thereby, he would have been able to protect his father. He wanted to make sure that at a very early age, he was into martial arts. And I think that that's something that I would have liked to have been indoctrinated into um, at an early age because I think it would have helped me instead of more finding it at a later age. Um, I think it'll learn at an early age, having that discipline. Um, I mean, they always told me that that was important. It was something that I could learn, but having it uh, was, was something that would have ultimate that later in life really impacted me greatly positively. 
gave me a lot of, um, you know, a lot, a lot of abilities and uh, even, even being physically disabled, I'm no longer able to practice the physical aspects of the martial art, but the mental aspects, the discipline remains with me. And I wish somebody had, you know, indoctrinated me into that discipline sooner, that self-discipline, that thinking about uh, how I can how I can better myself and how I can uh, you know exercise and, and grow in that way. So while Alexander, you know, sort of ultimately failed in his mission, I think that maybe his thinking wasn't terribly off in that we ought to indoctrinate our children into thinking about their own self-discipline. Okay, you, you've just kind of blown my mind here, because I know we discussed this a little bit earlier, and, and I had thought, you know, I wasn't a sporty kid. I tried lots of sports, and perhaps I just couldn't take it up or something, but my parents weren't really sporty either. But when you talk about discipline and, and being indoctrinated, I wonder, like, I was kind of indoctrinated into music. I remember it was really hard at the beginning. I started playing clarinet when I was eight. And I didn't like it because you had to do a lot of practice. And my mom said, you can quit once you've put in two years. <laughs> and I said, fine, fine. And I was so determined to put in that two years and then quit. I mean, that's not going to surprise any of you, really. But I was like, fine, I'm going to put in my two years and then I'm going to quit. Yeah, I'll show you. But by the time I had put in two years, I loved it. And, and then I was quite disciplined and it took me a lot of places. And I'm not saying that sports and, and fitness and stuff wouldn't have taken me all those places. But, um, but it's, it's interesting because you can't do everything. And so earlier today, when I was thinking, like, what would I have liked in my life? I think now, what would I have had to give up to make time for that other stuff? So um, I know that's kind of going off topic, but but it's interesting. And, and then when you talked about discipline, I realized, oh, no, I, I was sort of indoctrinated into something. And it was it was music and, and art. So so I really like that. Um, so I, I don't know if you have any reflections on that. Yeah, and, and I, I do, because I also was forced to do music. And like you, I was determined to get out of it. And for those who learn discipline through it, man, amazing. Like, love, great. I, and boy, the musicians who have, you know, driven me and influenced my life, man, I, I know how hard they work. I know what amazing people they are. And I know what a discipline making good music is, right? It is one of those things, one of the one of the most incredible things. Like any art, you have to work at it and you have to discipline yourself to it. My problem was simply that I didn't learn those skills through music. And maybe that's bad teachers and that's fine. And maybe, uh, you know, there's there's... Uh, there's other there's other things that I missed out on. And so I have a different view of sort of coming up through music as a kid and not picking up discipline from it and how it is different from me from martial arts. Um, but maybe that's a completely skewed view. And maybe if I had had a different teacher who really like showed me the love and passion of, of music, 
at an early age and making music myself, maybe I'd have a completely different view of it. And I'd say music is an amazing discipline because obviously others are incredibly disciplined about it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I love these conversations. That's, that's really cool. Uh, so we've got a few people on, on stage. Welcome, Lasha, Sin, Carl, Charlotte, and Steve, the philosophist. Uh, I've invited other people up, so please come on up when you um, are able. Now, I wanted to call on Lasha because she said that she saw the storyline completely differently from the way we did. But I also see she's made a comment that she might not be able to speak right now. So, Lasha, did you want to comment on that before I put the question to you? Are you available? Yeah, my my cat is is really crying right now. <laughs> She's just looking at me crying. So, please excuse me. Um, yeah, she, she's complaining. <laughs> You're gonna hear this the whole time. I'm just letting you know this now. Um, um, yeah. So, so I do want to ask you the question. You know, like, uh, you know, if you could travel back in time and indoctrinate yourself, what would you influence yourself to believe uncritically, if that's possible? But also, I'm really interested in how you saw the storyline differently. Um, I wouldn't have been able to indoctrinate myself to leave because I was forced to stay in a high-controlled religion until I was 18. I couldn't go anywhere. So it would be like I'd have to kidnap myself and live with myself for another amount of time. But I saw this episode kind of completely different. I saw it as a young man, a young boy who is multiracial or, you know, interspecies and has to deal with the cap the the expectations of family and tradition you know of culture he had the 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 expectations of culture that's what i saw i saw him and and it didn't even occur to me until the very end when he was saying that you know i i i am you dad and then i started seeing the similarity yeah you do look alike you know um i started seeing that similarity uh, I, I think that he realized that there was a way for him to be both, but he did need to instill a little bit more of that beast in him in order to protect his father, because that is his one regret that he did not, you know, that he was not able to save him. He died in his arms and he wishes that he could have just been stronger. So that that's how I saw it. And, and I do see that, especially within myself, you know, being multiracial, you have certain expectations about you're not black enough or you're not white enough or you're not, you know, this enough. And I felt that with, with, um, with, with, uh, with his son, I felt that so hard. Like, dude, like my mom's a fucking human, dude. <laughs> you know, like, and I know that I'm part Klingon, but I just don't see it the way that you do. So that's, that, that's how I saw that. So I, I'm glad this is the question was raised, but now I get to see it in a different perspective. Well, that is that's wild because I, I the the part where where um, older Alexander says to younger Alexander, you know, humans don't see the human; they see the Klingon. Um, I got that that this was a racial reference for sure, and and I think it's interesting how we've been doing these intentional watches because going in and looking at a theme, I'm focused on that theme. A lot of other things will pop up. And then I realize we could watch with intention this episode three or four times 
and see a different theme come through. And I think in in some way, that's the genius of some of these television shows. Um, so I really appreciate that. And it was a good example. And I think that there are others, I've noticed others, where there are these, you know, um, interspecies um, getting together and, and mating. We see this in, in, um, in science fiction all the time. And, and I think that's sort of the beauty of science fiction in some ways is that they, they all try to to deal with these issues. So uh, T, I just wanted to know if you had something to comment on before I, I put the question to the rest of the room. I do. Um, first of all, I, I wanted to say all the, all the love for Lasha and her comment, but also thank you so much for showing up to the watch party yesterday. It was awesome hanging out and getting your, I just loved, you know, the back and forth comments we were having and just, you know, what a great experience. So just talk about a true fan spotlight on you. Thank you. Me and Brian Bonsall, you know, we were homies. <laughs> so I had to say something. I'll give y'all all sorts of like old school trivia for, for the show when you want it. Oh yeah. We're going to have to have some uh, more, maybe we'll just have uh, over the holidays or something, but we don't have uh, intentional watches. We'll open up the room and just talk about, uh, just spew all the, the Star Trek trivia that we have that meant something to us when we were um, younger. So I've just uh, PTR'd the stage so that I've got Lasha, Sin, Carl, Charlotte, and Steve. And uh, for now, we'll just, uh, we've got some time here on this episode. And, and these all lead into each other. So if I, I don't get to everybody on one question, uh, we'll be able to answer the questions throughout the throughout the 19 minutes. So Sin, I just want to go to you and and ask you, if you could travel back in time and indoctrinate yourself, what would you influence yourself to believe uncritically? Hmm. The martial arts thing that T was talking about really struck a chord for me too. It would have been nice to have been entrenched in something that would have given me refinement of my own personal skills that was more than just like something like schooling. Um, I had folks that didn't have any interest in, you know, that kind of stuff. They didn't have that experience themselves, which is why I figured they don't have the, you know, the wisdom and perspective um, to pass it on to their kids. I imagine that would be something that I would, even though I haven't had it yet, like I still would understand that now, understanding what I do now and where I am in life. Um, instead, my, my folks were very much, I had a very, like, uh, not very similar, but I had a very similar experience of of having a, growing up in a high control cult, so, high control group, cult, whatever you want to call it, an extreme religious uh, practice. But my my family wasn't like how it sounds like she had, and I and we've we're friends, we've talked, so I think it's safe for me to say I understand uh, her, hers is definitely a little different than my experience. Like I think her parents are a little more intense. I was fortunate to have parents that didn't push hard on the religious thing, which was cool. But at the same time, they're kind of the folks that like, I ran rampant, you know? I didn't really have parenting. I kind of grew up um, without many rules, without many regulations. Um, there was no, cons there was consequences for certain things. Um, you know, like the, they weren't immoral folks too, of course, they're religious things. So, you know, like, 
when I look at martial arts, I see, yeah, there's like, I guess people could say like there's, like that's something that, first of all, that would be something like my, my family would actually be against because they would feel like it would be involving some sort of praise or, or um, you know, like anything, what I, the way they believe things is like if you give praise or respect to anything too much, then you're, then you're worshiping it, you know? And so they're like, they really work hard to walk this line of like taking the Bible very, very literal so it's like to you know that's why birthdays aren't okay that's why celebrating somebody's what others whatever day like it's not really done by them because it's it's giving praise you know so like i remember i did show interest in martial arts and my folks were very much like oh no that involves you know these eastern styles of religious stuff and blah 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 blah, blah. so you know unfortunately i didn't get that opportunity i tried peewee football and that was horrible i think i went to two games or two rehearsals, whatever. I mean, I had a, on top of that, my dad was kind of buffoon and he got me an adult sized male cup. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> Pee Wee football, right? You can just imagine this kid. We had, I had a purple uniform too, of all the goddamn things. Purple uniform and I'm on, I'm in all these kind of like thrift store thrown together. Like he didn't go out and buy like brand new gear from like, you know, the proud dad section in the sporting goods area of your local superstore. Like, my dad went to the thrift store and got, you know, Joe Schmo's whatever. And I think I probably even got a used cup. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't put it past him, but it was definitely an adult size. And I, and when I think about it now, it's logical. I understand. He didn't realize there was a smaller cup size. I get that. Like I would make that same mistake right now, right? I would make that same mistake. I'd be like, Hey, my boy's a strapping lad. He's in my image, you know, like this is definitely the right cup size, you know? Someone would be like, well, sir, there's a smaller one. I'd be like, no, get that smaller cup away from me. You know, like, so, I mean, in a, in a lighthearted look at it, it was embarrassment. You know, I don't blame him, but, you know, he wasn't prepared for the buying his kid uh, football uniform because he, he plays golf. So, and I'll, I'll land my plane in just a second. I'm not going to go on forever. Well, thank you, Sin. My eyes are wet. You had me in absolute tears with your story. That story was, I mean, I snorted. I'm so glad that I wasn't <laughs> mic'd up. Uh, that, that was, that was, awesome. that was great. That was so great. Um, so I'm just looking at the time here. I'm going to ask Carl the question. Thank you for coming, Carl. And uh, and then after Carl asks this question, we'll we'll move on to the second episode uh, that we watched. And and we can always come back, you know, Charlotte and Steve, if you want to answer the questions that we've just asked, that's fine. You can you can morph them into the uh, the other ones as well. But but Carl, um, good to see you. If you could travel back in time and indoctrinate yourself, what would you influence yourself to believe uncritically? Hey, Victoria. Um, I think it would be um, to not defer to authority quite as much. Um, and I think there's a balance here when, you know, you talk about about being disciplined and being sort of regimented, you need some structure as you're growing up. Some, you know, everything is, is good in moderation. Everything to excess is is not. Um, 
and so you can take that deference to authority too um, too seriously and too literally, and it can it can impact you in in harmful ways as you as you grow older. I think what's interesting, and and I used to um, I know a little bit about conditioned behavior. I used to be a horse trainer, and my family had been in the horse business for a long time, and. And structure is important, but uh, too much structure takes the it it will it will take the the spark and the individualist individualness out of a horse if you're if you're training them for a particular sport. Um, too much freedom, and you have no you have no control. And every every animal and every person is different, and so what works with one horse doesn't always work with the next horse. And so you had to tailor your your conditioning program to each specific individual, what worked best for them. And so you can't just put people in a, in a box and, and cr turn the crank and ha give them the same inputs and have them all turn out the same. And so what, what you know, one regimented structure works well for someone, it won't work well for the other, and, and the outcomes will sometimes be completely different. And so I, I, for me, it would have just been to be less deferential to authority and, 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 and sort of have some better boundaries as an adult. Great. Thank you. That's, uh, that's, those are really important <laughs> things to have. And, uh, and I think a lot of us uh, could use those. So it's, it's funny. Uh, you've given me a lot to think about. So I appreciate that. I, I feel a little bit like I'm, uh, I'm not able to formulate my response yet. So I'll think on that a little bit more. Um, T, let's move on. I notice it's uh, 1033 right now. Can you give us a summary? Um, and, and certainly feel free to respond. I trust you will jump in when you want to anybody. But if you can give us a, um, a summary of who watches the watchers. And, uh, and then I, I do have some observations and, um, and some questions for you and the crew. Yes. Who watches the watchers? Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 4. First aired, uh, it was today, actually. <laughs> 33 years ago today, on the 16th of October, 1989. So, in this episode, the Enterprise must undo the damage when a primitive civilization discovers a Federation observation team and concludes that the Starfleet personnel are gods. I chose this episode because the Enterprise gets caught with their pants down, trying to spy on a primitive culture, and they end up violating the Prime Directive and have to convince the locals that the Picard is not a god using a subterfuge and deception. Thank you. This I, I loved this episode. I'm probably going to go back and watch it again because there was some things I just want to get into my head here. But um, here we see Troy and Riker LARPing, live action role playing as locals. As soon as they were directed to do so, I thought about this show, um, uh, you know, and this Star Trek Sunday show, and was looking forward to hearing what Sean had to say about the LARPing. And uh, as part of that, uh, this included Troy, who was literally gaslighting the locals in an attempt to set them straight. 
and I understood the attempt, but you know, or the intent, but as, uh, as we grow as people and as we start, um, developing and being able to recognize manipulation and stuff, I, I was really aware that I would find that more creepy now than I would have on its, uh, first airing. I don't know. I think I would have just sort of seen her attempt to uh, convince them to not believe what they saw as uh, caring for them and, and thinking about the Prime Directive. And now I just think, oh, that's creepy. In this episode, we see Picard be put on a pedestal of a god without the ultimate powers of Q. And he makes the clear statement that he would not set commands for the locals. And I wondered how tempting that would be for others. Um, Clearly, cult leaders cannot help but set commandments for their followers. And at one point, Picard says, Dr. Byron, your report describes how rational these people are. Millennia ago, they abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you are asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear. No, he exclaims to this doctor. And, and when Picard asked the locals about the god they had just invented in him, and he says, are you sure you know what he wants? And I thought, oh, man, don't we ask these questions on a regular basis in some of these rooms on Clubhouse and in our own lives? So this, this was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rubbing my hands as I'm talking about this because it's kind of deep, right? So the crew of the Enterprise bends over backwards to stop the world they are observing from learning the truth while simultaneously steering them away from believing things that are false. When people believe things uncritically, do you think it's better to compartmentalize what information they have access to or expose the whole truth to them and let them sort it out? The, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I, I think it's, it's better to uh, not not compartmentalize. You have to show them the map of the territory before they can really understand what you mean by, you know, here be dragons. It's one of those things where they need a way of conceptualizing everything. And when you're doing this, uh, you know, not not showing you everything or showing you selective things or trying to lead you down a path but doing so by telling you things that aren't true and your attempt is to get them to believe things that are true i think you're you're using questionable motives here questionable techniques i I would suggest that the best way to arrive at the truth is to is to drag the truth kicking and screaming out into the spotlight turn on the spotlight, turn it all the way up to 11 and and spin that thing around for a while. See how it goes and what it, and what makes it tick. That's the best way to get to the truth. And I think that, you know, in in doing what the what the enterprise were doing was sort of walking amongst them with Deanna uh you know, playing this this role of a a of a of, you know gaslighter who's going to make you think that you know uh well maybe this is true well maybe this is the case well i'm gonna suggest this thing put I, this idea in your head i think that they were using really just sort of off-putting motives there 
great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes you and I, we watch these at the watch parties, but we watch them separately and, and come together on the day. And, and uh, I sometimes question myself, did I see this wrong? Because sometimes, and I understand these are old shows, but um, sometimes I just think, wow, that's, that's kind of terrible of these people in Starfleet. Um, and, and I guess sometimes I put Star Trek or the people in Starfleet on a pedestal myself because I've learned so much of, from them. So maybe that's something I will have to examine as well. So um, um, so I'll just move to Sean because I did mention you <laughs> because as soon as I saw them go down in their costumes, I, uh, I thought... Uh, I, I thought of you. So, uh, Sean, what did you think of this episode? And uh, when people think things uncritically, do you think it's better to compartmentalize that information, the information they have access to, or expose the whole truth to them and let them sort it out? Um, thank you, Victoria. Well, I think it depends on the situation. I, I, um, I'm sorry I woke up late past my alarm, and the only thing that woke me up was the sound of the heavy rain. <laughs> so I'm lucky to be here right now. But anyway. I'm still waking up. So I'm, I'm reading all of the episodes and I'm on the second episode here. Um, I do remember this episode. I can't believe it was that long ago. Was this 33 years ago? That is amazing. Um, I thought this was a really good episode and many people would think, uh, you know, think that people were godlike or gods. And um, so your question is, is should one compartmentalize the truth or give them the, the, the truth and let them figure it out? Is that, is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you think it's better to compartmentalize what information they have access to or to expose the whole truth to them and let them sort it out? Because what we found was, um, you know, the, at the beginning, the, the, Picard and the crew were, were trying to just give them a little bit of information and help them out, um, but and, and keep them from knowing everything. But in the end, uh, one of the guys, I can't remember his name now, uh, Voren, I think, um, he ended up knowing everything. He went on to the ship, but he couldn't take it. He couldn't, he couldn't take the, the whole truth. Yeah. Um... Was that? No, no. You know what? Wait a second. Am I getting these two tea? Help me out here. I I think I just got. I no. Voren was in the other one. Why did I think that Voren went on to there? Oh my god! Sort me out. Slap my head. Exactly. Voren's in the third oh. one. Not the second. One. Yeah, oh, this was a, a very feminine-centered episode. That it. You're um, right. Yeah, you're right. God. Thank you, Lasha. Yes, it, it was the it was the the leader, the female leader, who went onto the onto the Enterprise. And when she got up there, she was talking to Picard, and he thought he was getting through to her. Remember, and you're all you're thinking, this is great, this is great, this is great. And then she says, "Can you bring back the children who died last year?" And then he's like, "Oh man, you're not getting it." Right. So in both these episodes, we saw um, the the people from the um, from the the locals go onto the ship and find out what what maybe you could think of is too much information. And and that would be my question: is is it better to compartmentalize the information they have access to or expose the whole truth to them? Well, even though they 
you know, he ended up telling her a lot and, and she realized he wasn't a God, wasn't the Picard, but just a human Picard. Um, they still didn't explain everything. I mean, it's not like they tried to bring these people up to, you know, they, they just gave them barely enough information just to know that they were mortal like anyone else. And it was sort of technology, but they didn't try to like somehow, you know, it, it, tell them better ways to do, to do farming and, and, uh, you know, chemical analysis and, and bring science into the equation. So even though they, they did have to reveal a lot more than they had planned to, it still wasn't everything. And, um, <clears throat> I, I hate to bring religion into this, but, um, you know, it's like the, like I have a friend and he believes, uh, you know, in, in scripture, he's a Christian, evangelical Christian. And we argue every day, literally, uh, <laughs> um, about things. And, you know, he wants to take Genesis very literally. And I said, but there's a problem between Genesis one and two. And, you know, he's sort of blocked out. He says, well, it doesn't really matter. And I says, well, yeah, but one plus one doesn't equal three. So some things do matter. Some things, uh, you know, you, you have to, um, you can rationalize your mind away things and ignore things because it, it will break your worldview and then you won't have a good response. And if something's wrong here, it could be wrong over here. And then the whole thing falls apart, you know. Um, but, um, you know, it's like Genesis was a, I believe this, what I believe was a creation myth. And, you know, people weren't trying to explain in detail what, how the world started, but they were trying to explain in a primitive way to a primitive people being primitive themselves, what is the possibility of how the world came into being. And it wasn't too much. It was compartmentalized. It was just enough to give them an idea of, you know, what went on according to their viewpoint, of course. Um, and so the same thing here, um, you, you, you try to give as little data as you can without confusing the people because, you know, technology builds upon technology, science builds upon science. There's an evolution there. There's an evolution of life. There's an evolution of science. There's an evolution of culture, society, uh, ethics, values, etc. So you can't just overload someone and say, here's the deal. This is what happened. Here's everything you need to know. And then that would be so, that would just blow people's minds, literally. And I think sometimes you do need to compartmentalize. I think you're right, uh, Sean, in, in that there is value in structuring the lesson. But at the same time, it, I, I, it's the gaslighting that I'm sensitive to. It's the sort of like, you know, putting an idea in your head so that you'll believe something that really isn't the case, right? Or, or, or just leading them down a path, right? Rather than just saying straight up, no, this is wrong. And here's why I know you're wrong. You know, that's the part I'm sensitive to. Yeah, can there I, has to be critical reasoning. I'm sorry, Ross. Oh, no, ahead. I was just going to say, can I just say a really quick side note how much of a savage Picard was in this episode? I mean, him telling Crusher how come she didn't just let this man die on the planet. The, 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 oh, the my planet God. Surface. 
I almost shit myself. I'm like, whoa, dude, you didn't just let him die. Yeah. <laughs> like, what did you That was fucking savage. It was absolutely it was, incredible. It was so savage. Yeah. I just wanted to let, let that he be known. Slayed. He I was just... He did. He was a slayer. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, that he was savage. I saw your, your comment earlier on that. And uh, through the whole thing, he was quite disciplined and quite, <laughs> and sort of like, what's going on? Oh, I've lost control of my ship and my people, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was that was a little bit funny. So we have some new people in the room, I think, new to the show as well. Um, so this is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse, and our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. And to be notified of future shows, please join the club and follow us uh, at Star Trek Sundays on YouTube and other social media platforms. Today, we're discussing primitive belief systems. We have been discussing the show Who Watches the Watchers. And we're going to move on to the episode Homeward. And T, if you could give us um, a summary of that, and so I can get my own head head on here. And... Um, and then I've got a couple of questions for you, and then we'll put them to the rest of the um, to the rest of the stage. And anybody who wants to come up to answer the questions can. So, T, I'm going to turn it over to you for the next episode's summary. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I was really disappointed. Uh, it, uh, angry at the internet is what I mean to say, um, because it it prevented Steve from sharing. And Steve is a true fan. He is the host of our watch parties and make sure that people, you know, have a place to get together and talk about this stuff and watch these things before the show every single week. And I'm just kind of, kind of not happy with the internet that it, it prevented his share right now. So. Oh yeah. And I, I, I just echo that because uh, he's a super thoughtful uh, participant and um, anybody who's not checking out the chat should check out the chat because he's, he's in there right now and hopefully he'll get his uh, internet hooked up during our show today and and can talk about some of those things but yeah he's really thoughtful so homeward the next generation season 13 or season 7 episode 13 so this happened a little bit sooner in the season than the first episode but um it first aired on the 17th of january 1994 in this episode Worf's foster brother violates the prime directive by saving a group of villagers from a doomed planet. I chose this episode because the crew concocts and executes this cockamamie plan that heavily exploits the villagers' primitive belief systems in a daring attempt to save them from an extinction-level event. Now, I just want to say really quick that uh, I, I know this is the primitive belief systems, but this could equally be the shit show, because in my opinion, this is one case where the crew really went off the rails. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm laughing because my first note is, oh, come on. We are this many seasons into the show, the mission, the journey. How could they not suspect that Worf's brother would hack the computer system? They knew that he didn't make it into Starfleet, and yet they just give him the computer system. And and I was I was waiting for that to happen before they even mentioned he was going to the computer. Um, and then he ends up <laughs> hacking the whole thing. Um, but but it, it, as always, there's some 
there's some funny bits too because then there's Worf going down and then making up the power of LaForge <laughs> the power of LaForge and you could see how uncomfortable Worf was with it but it was hilarious for us so that was my favorite line in the whole episode <laughs> was the, the it was the sign of LaForge right oh, and the I sign was like, of LaForge oh I just in my mind that stuck out as as one of the big biggest send-offs of like you know you know uh earthquakes uh, volcanoes thunder lightning the god of lightning the sign of laforge i this was truly brilliant writing in my opinion yeah <laughs> It was, it was, I mean, imagine the, the writers too, sitting around the table doing it. They're like, oh, it's got to be the sign of LaForge. And somebody's like, we can't do that. And they're like, we're doing it. We're so it's doing it really now. I'm, I'm already typing it. We're doing it. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, so the importance of the Chronicles for the village was interesting. Vorin, the guy I had talked about before, but who wasn't in the last episode. Vorin says, without the past, the future means nothing. And we, uh, all of us here, we talk about not forgetting the past so that we don't repeat it. And I wondered if Vorin's words were a take on that. It appeared that Vorin would have rather died with his planet, because he says everything that made us who we are is gone. And I wondered what makes us who we are. And is it the planet? And the environment? Is it our culture? And what if it's culture? And what about those who change their cultures through marriage and travel? So those were some of the, the thoughts I had. And um, and Vorin doesn't survive the, the, the voyage, which is their voyage through this made-up uh, holodeck, um, because he learns the truth and sub subsequently dies of suicide. Uh, because he can't live with the lie that he would have to hold to go back to his people. He can't tell his people what he knows. And so my question to you, T, is have you ever been faced with an impossible choice which has no acceptable answer to you? Yeah, I feel like I feel like good relationships that end are like that. Where on, on one hand there's so much that's wonderful and good about the relationship that you don't, it, 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 there, there's that at it ending would be unacceptable. But on the other hand, the relationship needs to end for whatever reason. And that's just unacceptable. So you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't it, it, really, really strong bonds like that, that you have to break end up feeling like Kobayashi Maru situations to me. Um, there are things where I just, I, I can think back on one specific situation where, you know, a, a breakup needed to occur because my partner was an alcoholic and was being abusive with a, with a child literally watching it happen. And so uh, I, on one hand, I stopped being in that child's life and being part of, you know, that relationship because the child came with the relationship. On the other hand, I continue to be a part of, you know, th this, this thing where, where a child is witnessing abuse between two adults where she's, or I'm on the ground and she's kicking me. And, you know, 
I, I both cases are, are, are unacceptable. So I feel like that would be um, a really strong case in my life where I just, I don't feel like either, either way is, 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 is okay. Well, um, thank you for making yourself vulnerable and, and sharing that. I know that we, I'm sorry to hear that. And I know that, that many of us here on this stage, um, share some very personal experiences and uh, I think that helps others be able to do so and um, settle into some of their own experiences and settle into them themselves a little bit more so I appreciate that um, so I'm gonna put this question to the stage and, and I want to welcome Joanna uh, to the stage I'm not sure Joanna how long you've been here and if you want to answer this question or any of the other questions but the question on the table right now is have you ever been faced with an impossible choice which has no acceptable answer? Well, yes, and I'll just share without emotion that my my little brother, you know, was hit, struck, and killed by a car as he was walking, and I witnessed this. Now, I I was in an impossible situation where I I really contemplated doing something so I didn't have to feel that pain anymore. Uh, if I, I I don't know. I hope that's apropos to, as an answer. Um, and then I had to choose to go through life accepting this because the other alternative was not acceptable to me. I don't think there could have been a better answer to that topic. I, I couldn't sharing. imagine a better answer, Joanna. I think really? that's a beautiful and important answer. And I just want to thank you for choosing to live, even though that was an impossible choice to make. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy you're here, Joanna. And um, I really appreciate what you um, bring to, to this stage and to the others um, in the rooms that we've shared space. So thank you for sharing that. Well, I am going to put that to the rest of the, the crew here on stage. We've had um, quite a few uh, questions put out, and uh, it started with, uh, if you could travel back in time and indoctrinate yourself, what would you influence yourself to believe uncritically? Uh, we moved on to... Um, do you think it's better to compartmentalize what information um, people who think uncritically have access to or expose the whole truth to them and let them sort it out? And, um, and finally, have you ever been faced with an impossible choice which has no acceptable answer? We put these out as prompts to um, bring out discussion that maybe doesn't get uh, shared very often. And... Um, but I know that everybody watches these shows and brings something else to it. They, they, we might have this intentional watch, but they see other, other things in the shows. So I'll put those questions out to everybody. And, um, but if there's something else you want to discuss that was prompted by these episodes, uh, please feel free to share. My PTR right now, um, the order of people I have is uh, Lasha, Sin, Carl, Steve, Joanna and Sean, and I invite anybody else up who wants to share. Um, so does, does anybody have anything to, to contribute right now? 
Sure. Um, I didn't get to watch the, the final episode um, in the homework. Sorry, y'all. I got out of class early. Um, but listening to, to, you know, to what was said in the, in the question at hand, I believe that the only decision that I would ever have to make in life that would be impossible for me is how my child died. I think that to me would be the only other one. I mean, a loved one. Yeah. My mom. Yeah. All those other people in my life, but someone I have actually birthed and taken care of. Um, I think that is the only impossibly hard decision that I would ever have to make. And so I had to think about this a little differently because I started to think about things like selfishness and, um, you know, how, how callous that might sound, but in the end, I still didn't care. So it was, it was, it's something that I had to, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, but I think the only, yeah, the only really hard decision I would ever have to make is how my child died. Not even if, you know, if it has to happen, it has to happen, but how would be impossible for me. Right. Yeah. I, I, I saw that comment in the chat and it kind of, uh, struck me. I thought, yeah, this, that, the, the how, I, I can't imagine that. Uh, sometimes I, I hear the parents on, on these stages talk and, and I just think what, what a hard role to have in life, to love something so much and to always be faced with the possibility of, of losing that. It, it just, I know most people go through that, but I'm uh, child free and, and uh, sometimes it just stops me in my tracks. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, anybody else right now want to contribute or have any thoughts on these episodes or these questions? Um, I could talk forever about <laughs> Star Trek, Star Wars, um, drums, snowboarding, and probably motorcycles at this point yet yeah, i haven't even really ridden one yet so i'm not gonna just talk for the talking sake but i just want to say this room has been amazing so thank you oh thank you sin yeah it, it um i i really enjoy it and i it uh, wouldn't be as enjoyable without all these other people contributing that's for sure so um i tip my hat to to everybody here um yeah it's it has been heavy so maybe maybe what we'll do is um, I'll keep those those uh, questions on the table, and um, and we can contemplate some of those uh, questions and and primitive belief systems is a topic that will come up again and again. I think Star Trek covered it many times, and um, yeah, it did. Yeah, and and there's different ways of looking at them. I I love the way we've looked at them today. And, um, and perhaps we'll have some more thoughts. Uh, sometimes when we get into these very tender topics and shares, um, we want to leave some space for it as well. Yeah, maybe so, we can just, maybe I can just do something completely different for a minute, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please, please, um, yeah, absolutely. The first thing I wanted to mention is you did post at the top my, uh, The Dark Cue which is a blog post inspired by Ryan and I wish Ryan was here and Steve and some of their discussions. And it was really great um, because this is in turn like inspired me to, I'm now on Twitter talking to all these Trekkies about Star Trek. They're doing engagement with our brand. We're working on 
merchandise. We've got uh, almost 500 YouTube followers. Please go follow our YouTube channel. Um, it, it has been such an amazing ride, and this room is always amazing, and you guys are always amazing. Um, I just wanted to tell you that we are so excited, number one, to be doing this here with you, and number two, for what we have planned for you in the future. You are the ones who are seeing the, the very early days of this and seeing our our initial growth. But our initial growth has already been explosive because of you. So thank you. Um, thank you, T. That that that's that's great. Uh, when you talk about the guests we're gonna have, um, what's what's interesting is I would love to have some of the actors and the writers on stage and to have them be able to embrace the stuff we talk about here not just like what was your experience on the show because we can find that right they've talked about that a lot i'm hoping that they enjoy digging into these uh topics like for the people who were in these episodes like what did Worf think when he had to say, like not Worf, but what did the actor think when he had to say the sign of LaForge? Like they must have laughed. But did they think during the process of these things, did they think about the philosophy or was it just work to them? Perhaps it was a little bit of both. Um, but that that's what I'd, I'd like to do. And, and, and um, I'm interested, do they go back and revisit those, right? Um, and, and what lessons did they learn and what kind of reflections did they have? I just wanted to welcome Ryan to the stage because he well, was in the audience, yeah. And, um, and one of the bonus clips that we're gonna have is our uh, debate. We, we don't normally debate on here. It's really nice to be able to just uh, drop what we think and have our thoughts be acknowledged by others. Uh, but last week, we encouraged a bit of a debate between Ryan and Steve, who have difference of opinion on Q. So we're going to save that as a little post-podcast popcorn. And, uh, and we'll release that later next week. So thank you, Ryan. And I hope you enjoy uh, the blog post above the dark queue. Yes, Ryan, check out the blog post about the dark queue, because that was very much inspired by you and is a love letter to our fans like you. Thank you, Ryan. Well, um, T, why don't you, I'm just looking at the time. I'm not trying to rush anybody off. Uh, we have lots of time. We always go a little bit over, but hopefully uh, you can tell us what's happening in the next couple of weeks. Definitely. Coming up on next Sunday on the 23rd, that would be October 23rd, uh, the Rules of Acquisition. So we're doing the Ferengi. I'm really excited about this one because we've got some cool stuff planned for that episode. Um, starting with the Rules of Acquisition, the episode from Deep Space Nine, in which uh, one of my favorites, favorite, Grand Nagus, uh, Zach uh, assigns Quark to initiate negotiations with a planet in the Gamma Quadrant. But Quark's new associate is not what he seems. Uh, followed by the McKee, Part 1, also a Deep Space Nine. If you thought I only ever watched TNG, you're wrong. There's two DS9 in a row. Uh, the Cardassian freighter explodes at Deep Space Nine, and the Cardassians blame the Federation colonists in the new demilitarized zone. So you'll see how the Ferengi are involved in that one. It's a pretty cool episode. Finally, 
acquisition from Enterprise. We haven't actually done an Enterprise episode yet, so I'm excited for this one. Um, a group of interstellar thieves stunned the Enterprise crew and began looting the ship. Trip Tucker is the only one to stop them, but can he do that in his underwear? It's really like one of my favorites because of Enterprise because it's, you know, just him running around. Followed by, and again, another episode I'm super excited about because I know we sit here and we do these really uh, deep topics and that's important. It's some of the things that, uh, number one, the, the writers of Star Trek felt deeply we should discuss. And number two, uh, we don't get to talk enough about, I feel. Uh, however, on the 30th, which is the day before Halloween, we're going to do What's So Funny, starting with Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, which is just a laugh a minute, followed by The Outrageous Akona, in which Data summons up a virtual uh, comedian to teach him about humor. And finally, The Trouble with Tribbles, which really needs no explanation from the original series in which the Tribbles start multiplying on the Enterprise. Finally, on uh, I'll talk about uh, November 6th. Uh, we're doing Resistance is Futile, Part 2. It's the board coming back, starting with The Best of Both Worlds, followed by Scorpion, and finally, I, Borg, which is, of course, a reference to the infamous Isaac Asimov story, I, Robot. Great. I... <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to all of these. Uh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, did did anybody want to talk about these these uh, these episodes, the questions that we put out there, or or even yes? Just... Oh, great! Now that Steve's back in action, excellent. Go ahead, Steve. Okay, so on the first topic of um, Alexander um, coming back to to. Um help raise himself i have thought about this so many times look i grew up um quite neglected half raised by the television right and so i i throughout my whole life i needed guidance i needed perspective i needed somebody who knew what was going on out there and my mom my dad the, the my extended family my teachers none of them were good enough for that because none of them seemed to really uh, like understand what kind of direction I wanted to go in anyway. They, none of them really were um, that supportive or, or able to like connect with me where I was at. And so um, I, yeah, I, I have plenty of fantasies of if I could go back in time and raise myself, I would simply teach myself from the very get-go the, um, the, the, the fundamentals of rationality, right? just critical thinking, which I knew I, I already had an intuition for and an interest for, but I didn't know what it was. And I didn't have anybody to point me in the direction of here's where I could get X, Y, Z information. Now, all the information that I finally got eventually, um, all the way up into the age of 40, that a lot of that came with time just to be readily available in a format that I could find it myself, right? On the internet. But I could go back in time. I could find where is all of this information in the library and point my younger self to go, here's how you find it here, right? And here's how you get your mom to spend more time putting you there. And then here's me to just spend more time with you because I know you're fucking depressed and lonely every fucking day, right? So that's that's what I would do. As far as like discipline, I, I for the same reasons I had 
a really weird, um, well, I mean, no, I just, I guess a, an unpopular perspective of it and that I question what people mean when they say disciplined, right? It's one of those things where we all seem to fully understand that it's valuable and it's port- important, um, such as say that self-control is important, but really putting a finger on what, what does discipline mean? I don't think enough people have actually thought it through. So I consider like when my family pointed out that I was a spoiled child, I, yeah, yeah, I was pretty spoiled and that my mom didn't discipline me much. And I did talk back to her a lot, right? But we were talking past each other in a lot of ways because she just wasn't on my level. It was never to say like, I'm a better person or superior to her, but yeah, I was spoiled. And I'd even look back and say, there's a lot of things I would have corrected about my own behavior back then. The thing is, I, I, I knew back then and I know now that if I'd only been given um, a real clear explanation of like what is wrong and why what I'm doing what or what I did was wrong, that's all there ever would have that it ever would have taken. Right. Um, the, the one or two times I experienced uh, being physically uh, uh, punished by my father or by my uncle, um, those were all times where I look back and go, fuck them. They, they were fucking wrong and they were too fucking chicken shit to think it through uh, and, and actually like hold up some sense of discipline in themselves. So I don't know what they're talking about or what they're thinking when they say discipline, but I, if it's anything valuable or useful at all, it's not what they did. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard not to think about these questions and then go back and, and wish something different. Although, as I said earlier, I think, well, I could have given myself a lift up, but then how, how would that change? Like when we talk about this time travel stuff, you know, we've already set, even, um, you know, Worf and Alexander talk about this, how they've, they've already changed um, the course of time because Alexander's presence talking to Worf has made him think differently. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting. T, do you have any thoughts on that? I do, actually. Um, I was wondering if I could turn this around for a second and ask you the question, Victoria. The crew of the Enterprise bends over backwards to stop the world. They're observing from learning the truth while simultaneously steering them away from believing things that are false. When people believe things uncritically, do you think it's better to compartmentalize what information they have access to or expose them to the whole truth and let them sort through it? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm supposed to be asking the questions, T. <laughs> nope, holding you to um, it. We want to hear. Yeah. We want to hear from you. I'm going to go ahead and speak for the audience right now. We want to hear your answer. I, I want to say that it would depend, right? Um, I. Yeah. At, it's it's interesting because I do think that there might be a time, I can imagine a time where compartmentalizing 
something would be beneficial. And that might be with children or people who don't have their full capacity. But in general, I would say that exposing the whole truth, this is the question that you're putting to me, right? The question that I put to everybody else. Exposing the whole truth to them and I think is, is important. I guess as I asked this question to others, I kept thinking to myself when I said, or expose the whole truth to them and let them sort through it, I kept feeling worse and worse about the way I said that um, because I thought exposing the truth and letting them sort through it, perhaps the way is to expose the truth and help them sort through it. Um, and, and I don't mean guide them in a, in a way that is uh, gaslighting, but in a way that, that we all hope to be guided to uh, take time in the areas that they uh, struggle and to encourage in the areas where they uh, excel. Because I think that we see that with lots of people as they, as they change and develop. And I think, I think we see this in some of the rooms that we have here where people are deconverting from religions or relationships or whatever it is. And um, for the most part, we don't say, well, this is the truth. Now you've got to sort it out. We empathize and we walk through it with them and we stand with them as they, as they learn these new things. Even with me, I was just having a, a back channel with somebody last night and thanking them for being so patient with me as I learn how to think about philosophy and how to learn how to philosophize. And without that person standing next to me and being patient, I wouldn't be able to grow in that area. And so I think that that when we ask the question, do you think it's better to compartmentalize what information they have access to or expose the truth to them? We're putting ourselves in the power position and with that power, here it comes, is responsibility. And as I kept asking this question, I thought, if we're going to be doing this and making that decision, we have to be responsible. Does that make sense? Yes, that's a great answer. And while we're doing the ready room, um, and the first officer is in the captain's chair, I'm going to ask you another question. Then I'm going to put that question to the rest of the room. But this is a question that Victoria wrote. It appeared that Vorin would actually have rather died with his planet. He said, everything that made us who we are is gone. And I wondered, what makes us who we are? Is it the planet and the environment? Is it the culture? And if it's the culture, what about those who change their culture through marriage and travel? I had some thoughts about this myself. I thought it's problematic that they are moving in such a way that their entire uh, cultural history and archaeological history is being erased. And future generations 
when they go to dig up that fossil record, are going to be really confused. It's not going to make sense. And what they did is they doomed them to confusion. And I really didn't think that was, you know, a good thing. And so I think that there's definitely a strong case to be made that part of it is at least the planet and the environment. But Victoria, what is it that makes us who we are? Is it the planet and the environment? Is it the culture? And if it's the culture, what about those who change their cultures through marriage and travel? Oh, T. I'm going to open the room first next time so I can be in that corner. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, Again, <laughs> putting you in the spotlight here. Yeah, you know, I made those comments because I did question them. And a few things come to mind. And, and it did have to do with travel. And that what because these people were on a journey. And that is, I remember when I moved to the Caribbean and um, there was a time where, I mean, I loved it. Who doesn't want to live in the Caribbean, right? There was just something oh, missing. Like I just, I, I don't know. I just, I missed something. And, um, and it wasn't until I got home that I realized now I feel, Oh, you did this. I hadn't cried yet. Now you're going to make me cry. It was the mountains. I live in Vancouver and I've grown up here and I feel enveloped and hugged by mountains. Um, we call them our North Shore Mountains. And so I grew up on the beach. I grew up on in the seaside. So going to the Caribbean was great and it was warm. Who doesn't want that? But when I got home and I saw the mountains... I didn't realize until that moment in my 20s how they affected me. And so I was, I don't even know how to explain it, but I've always been aware of that when I've gone again. And, um, and when I come home, that's what I see. And so I did kind of feel with these people, they're going to know. <laughs> that they're just they're gonna know at some point that they're not just in a different area of their planet how could they not and the comment about the culture that's because i i see in life and even on clubhouse people seeking and searching and sometimes they're raised in a particular culture and i'm not even talking about religion but it might be that they're raised eating a certain type of food or speaking a certain language and um and they don't feel it's i mean it's their not native language their native food i guess uh, but there's a lot of people who seek out something else and then when they discover it they're all about that thing and they might be all about that thing for the rest of their lives so it could be a religion um, but it could be culture it could be food and, uh, and then that becomes part of them. They can't not have that be part of them. So, so I had to wonder, like, how Voren could reject that, right, as you develop. And, and maybe this is where we get into the word primitive, 
if they didn't realize that about themselves and about how um, people mesh all of their experiences and, and, you know, his panels of his chronicle, how all those things built upon each other, they didn't um, contradict necessarily the panel before it. So um, those are the things I was thinking about. <laughs> I think I'll just leave it there. Amazing. I mean, yes, absolutely. Those are the the things that make us who we are in a lot of ways, right? And beautiful answer too. Thank you for that. Um, I'm T, and I'm in the captain's chair today because uh, we're in after hours. Ryan, thank you so much for coming to the stage. I don't know if you're familiar with the episode that we're referring to, um, but in in the episode. Uh, one of the people who were being saved, it looks like he just rather would have died with his planet. He says, everything who made us who we are is gone. And I wondered what makes us who we are. Is it the planet and the environment? Is it the culture? And if it's the culture, what about those who change their culture through marriage and travel? Welcome to the stage. Welcome to the Star Trek Sunday's ready room. James, buddy, first of all, big hug. Do you have any thoughts about what it is that makes us uh, a culture? Is it our environment? Is it our past? Is it, you know, what happens when we when we marry into a different culture? Do we become different people? What is that about? Yeah, um, we are definitely affected by that. However, it doesn't uh, take away what we had prior to that. I think we um, become a more variety, uh, a more divergent individual. We're, we're less of one and more of other as well, right? Like we gain more knowledge of what it's like to be another culture so we can still be, we're both cultures. We're, we're, in, we're growing, we're learning more, we're becoming more mature, more developed. So I think it's pretty awesome to be more diverse, right? I completely agree. And that is something that we also do celebrate as part of our culture is our device diversity is I'm, I'm fortunate to sort of live in the melting pot of, uh, you know, of, of Southern California. And so it's one of these cultures where, you know, everywhere you go is sort of this little hub and nexus of, of culture, of cultural concentration. But then within that, there's all of this overlap. And, and it's one of these things where, you know, California cuisine is where you take everything else and you just kind of mix it together in a new way and you add avocado to it, right? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, uh, Christy, thank you so much and welcome to the stage. And I, I love you, uh, love, much love for you, James. Christy, uh, are you available to answer the question? I don't know if you've heard it. Oh yeah, no, I heard it. Um, I've had to keep popping in and out. So, and also clubhouse keeps crashing on me. So, <laughs> so it's been a little crazy, but, um, I believe that your experiences are what make you who you are and whether, I mean, I don't know, I guess the question more is about the culture, not who you are specifically. So I guess I don't have as good an answer as I thought I did. <laughs> Oh, that's not true. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, well, because the thing is, as you said, there's just such a melting pot, at least where I live as well. I'm in Northern California, but that doesn't change the cultures that I came from. But then also I was an Air Force brat. So, I mean, we moved around all the time. So I never felt like I had a specific culture. And then you were talking about the environment. And I think Victoria was saying that the mountains were so important to her. I I do think that where you live and how you were raised plays a part. But I also think that a lot of people, you know, you can choose what you want and you can move around and become something else if that's what you want. So I don't know. I just, I think it's really individual and I loved what somebody else was talking about. I don't remember if it was training horses. I think it was training horses about how um, each one is totally different and it requires a different touch. Like, I mean, some, and, and each person is that way. I mean, every single person is so different and what you get exposed to can even somebody exposed to the exact same things can have a different response. And so, I don't know, I just think we're all trying to live in our environment and our environment keeps really changing, honestly. So, I don't know, I I, I think I sort of (laughs) didn't really answer the question exactly, but that's what I think about it. So thank you for listening. I think you did though. I think you pointed out that it is a shifting floor that moves beneath our feet. And that is part of the answer. It's what part it's part of what makes us us is that shifting floor beneath our feet. Right? And we have to sort of, you know, keep up with the tide or, you know, no, you know, some suddenly we're not part of the culture or is that to say we're not cool or am I just growing old? That's not what we say anymore. <laughs> anyway, one more Pete, one more person, Raoul Kundi. Thank you so much for coming to the stage. We're in the ready room of Star Trek Sundays, where apparently the first commander hops in the captain's chair for a minute. Uh, how are you doing tonight or this evening? This I don't know where you are, but uh, how are you doing? You available to talk? It does not appear that way. Oh, there we go. Hey there. Sorry about that. Did you hear the? No, I I can talk. Uh, can you repeat the question? Absolutely. I'd be really happy oh, to. The question comes from our captain, Victoria. It appears that Vorin would have di- would have rather died with his planet. He says, everything that has made us who we are is gone. And I wondered, what makes us who we are? Is it the planet and the environment? Is it the culture? And if it's the culture, what about those who change their culture through marriage and travel. So we're just looking for thoughts about what makes us who we are. Very interesting question. Let me address the part I I don't know about the environment, but people who change their culture. I mean, I immigrated to United States from another country and it, it's, it's changed me quite a lot in that process. It was many years ago, but uh, does it does it change? Do you, can you fully conform to a new culture? Can you like fully change? I think that's 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 
just not possible. And uh, when you come into a new culture, slowly you get assimilated. At least that's what my experience is and my observation as well. People get assimilated, but they are still, you know, vestiges of things that, that are from the past that, that are in their psyche. And for every person, it's different. They have brought with them something that they just cannot change. It's there. It's going to stay there forever. It, even if they consciously try it, it's, uh, it's something that's, when their neurons were developing <laughs> at a very early age, it got it it got kind of infused in, into those neuron connections or whatever the scientists however they explain it. But um, humans do, you know, change, conform to culture. I also want to say that there's also some role that the culture that they they are dropped into uh, it plays in, in that situation. Uh, if it's an ex, uh, uh, a more accepting culture, they'll be rarely easily adopt to it if they take a liking to it. If it's uh, an unfortunate situation where somebody is, is a hostage in a xenophobic culture, but now they have to live there, that is going to take quite a while. I mean, there have been situations like that, right? There have been, especially there have been like... Um, mass migrations or, or the, the people in other cultures have captured and you know taken slaves and then then brought them into their culture things like that so so i think there are gradations of acceptance for people who are coming from outside plus there is a role that's that's played by the culture that's that's absorbing them that's, and, interesting. Uh, that's, that's all yeah. i would say I can't help but think of it in sort of like, uh, you know, magnets that affect each other. Uh, they, they sort of have this like, you know, force on each other. And when they come into into proximity with each other, they, they push on each other in this way. It seems like you're describing culture in a lot the same way. But then you never sort of can like, you know, to truly change who you are. You can only sort of, you know, find your comfortable distance in or out of this culture. And I think that's an interesting observation because I know that's true for me. I definitely find my my own comfort in and out of uh, certain cu cultures to a distance, uh, to a certain degree. So I, I think that's a great share. I want to say thank you very much. That was the Star Trek Sunday's Ready Room. And I think at this point, we should hand it back over to Victoria to take us out. That was that was wonderful. Uh, I, I just wanted to to comment on what Rahun had said too. Is um, it was with his share that I was realizing that that there there isn't anything static about culture, because while we change as we move through the world and as we meet different people, we impact those cultures as well. So that culture isn't the same once somebody else has gotten into it and brought, you know, their original culture into it. So um, I think there's something really nice and fluid about that.
think it's a good place to end it and also a good place to remind everyone that um, we do have a website. And if you want to hear any questions get asked in the future episodes of Star Trek Sundays, especially with season two coming up here, um, please go there. There is a submission form on our website. Please submit, uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It would really help us get the word out. Listen on Pandora, uh, iHeartRadio, Apple, uh, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. Amazon Music, I uh, just about anywhere you can find it. Say Alexa, play Star Trek Sundays. Thanks for uh, thank having you. such a great room, you guys. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Much, everyone. Thank you, Victoria. See you in the hallways.